Hello everybody, welcome to the Healing the Nation's Religious Liberty Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Chung, and today we have a very special guest here at the GYC in Phoenix, Arizona. We have Elder Alan Reinek. Elder Reinek, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, I serve as the Executive Director of the Church State Council, which is the Religious Liberty Ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the Southwestern United States in the Pacific Union Conference. I'm a lawyer, I'm a minister, um, our ministry is devoted to education, legislative activity, and, uh, and advocacy, and legal services. We provide legal services for those who suffer religious discrimination. There are many people, as I've worked through uh, evangelistic series as a Bible worker, when people accept the three angels' messages and get baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, one of the issues is how they could keep the Sabbath in a job situation where it conflicts. What are some advice you could give to people that face that situation? You know, this is a, it's a tough question. I think that um, the key for all of us is our witness, is um, being the kind of worker that a company wants to keep and having a really positive attitude. Um, you know, we can't control how other people are going to behave. And sometimes they'll do the right thing and sometimes they won't. Um, you know, our, our ministry stands ready to help those who do get into conflict situations. And we have sample letters on our website, on churchstate.org website. Um, but it, it, it's a challenge, especially in the hiring process for, for many Adventists. And, and the one thing that I would stress is it's illegal to ask about your need for religious accommodation in the hiring process. So you're not obligated to disclose that information. And trying to finesse it is certainly going to, to help in the long run. What is the um, legal burden for companies to not to accommodate workers who want to keep the Sabbath? Well, honestly, it depends on where you live. We have successfully uh, passed the toughest protections of any state in the nation in California. Uh, under federal law that governs all of the states, employers do have an obligation to respect the religious accommodation needs of their employees uh, but the standard of, of an undue hardship, they don't have to do it if it's an undue hardship. And an undue hardship under federal law is a very low standard. Uh, but what we find is that rarely do companies really have a hardship in accommodating Sabbath observance. What are some major cases that uh, you're dealing with right now? Well, we have one case that is of particular interest to Seventh-day Adventists, and it's, uh, it's been featured in our annual Liberty, Religious Liberty Offering Appeal. It's a case against the company Kellogg's. Kellogg's, of course, was founded by prominent Seventh-day Adventist family, and they have proven themselves to be rather hostile to... Uh, Seventh-day Adventists and, and their rights to observe the Sabbath. And I, I say that because, not because some individual managers 
treated a couple of Adventists badly, but because the company has decided to um, close ranks behind those managers and defend uh, what they did, which is indefensible. So this case is currently pending in the Tenth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals in Denver. Uh, as of, you know, here we are right on the cusp of the new year, and we, the case was uh, fully briefed and argued back in March of 2017, and nine months later we're still waiting for a decision. So it seems that the court is struggling with what it's going to do. Otherwise, we probably would have had an opinion by now. What are some major religious liberty issues that we as a nation face today? Well, the big issue pending that's getting a lot of attention in the Supreme Court is this case of the baker that refused to bake a cake, uh, create a cake to commemorate uh, a same-sex marriage. And, you know, completely beyond what's at stake for the baker. Let me put this case into a little bit of context. When the Supreme Court decided in favor of same-sex marriage in the Obergefell case, Justice Kennedy gave lip service in his opinion to the rights of those who believe in traditional marriage to their beliefs. But he declined to give lip service even to our rights to practice our beliefs. And that's really what we're looking for here. Is there going to be a balance between the rights of, of same-sex couples and individuals not to be discriminated against and to, to have their rights protected, which I believe they are entitled to have their rights protected. You know, that I believe that uh, the American democracy is all about respecting everyone's rights to believe and to live in peace according to their own values. Okay? Um, but that also pertains to those of us in the faith community whose values are about traditional heterosexual marriage. And so the real question is, is there going to be any kind of balance here? Are the rights of those who believe in traditional marriage going to be respected? Now what this case is not about is what the media is trying to make it about. It's not about discrimination against gays because uh, the Phillips, the Bakers, they had no problem selling off-the-shelf products to anybody, to gays or anybody. And clearly, the court is not here going to address the issue of discrimination generally. You know, if, if we're in business, can we refuse to serve customers who are gay? No. The answer to that should be no, although under federal law, there is currently no general protection that way, but there should be protection. Um, so this is, you know, and, and, and this case turns on Colorado law. So it's going to be very interesting to see what, what the court does with it if they take the, the religious freedom and free speech issues of the, of the baker seriously uh, or not. Whatever the outcome, I would certainly hope that the court does not just dismiss uh, out of hand 
the religious freedom and, and free speech interests of the bakers. Going back to that case, I remember the Jones case was cited there where I believe Justice Roberts asked a question to the Solicitor General that could faith-based organizations or schools be affected for their beliefs on this because there's two competing interests. There's an interest of the civil rights for LGBT community and also the competing interest for religious expression. How much of an impact does this case have in our schools and our institutions and so on and so forth? Well, that's hard to say. In California, where you and I live and work, LGBT rights have already achieved the status of race. What do I mean by that? Um, could you imagine, say, a white supremacist group deciding to open up uh, a K through 12 school? Oh, let's take a conservative community like Bakersfield and advertising that only white families need to apply for their students to be admitted to the school and that only white people uh, could be eligible to be hired as, as teachers in the school. Would the school even uh, get to the first day of school and open its doors before a civil rights group filed a suit, asked a judge for a court order, an injunction to prevent the school from operating on a discriminatory basis. Uh, I think it's doubtful that that kind of school could operate in modern America, anywhere in the United States. Well, in California, uh, at least in principle, LGBT rights have the same status as the right against race discrimination. Now, it hasn't been applied as fully. The, the question becomes, as a, as a legal matter, can Christian institutions um, practice any form of discrimination against gays uh, and continue to exist? And I think the long-term answer is probably no. You know, what's going to happen in the short term, I don't know. And will there be a balance? Um, I, I don't know that either. Now, I, I need to give a kind of a disclaimer here. I don't believe that Christian institutions are behaving in a, in a Christian manner if they discriminate against gays. If they say to gay students, you're not welcome here. I don't think that that's the right thing to do. And, and I think, you know, this, this whole topic is so fraught with emotion that it's hard to have uh, a, you know, a calm, reasoned discussion uh, without offending somebody. And I'm always conscious of that when we have these discussions because I, I don't, you know, the, the first obligation of the Christian community is to make Jesus accessible to everybody. Jesus died for everybody. And what we do with our, the way we talk about our politics and our beliefs is we deprive the gay community of Jesus. We present a Jesus to them that they would never be interested in. And that's a much graver sin than, you know, how we conduct our institutions and, you know, whatever. I, I just, 
our, our first priority has to be how we represent Jesus in the broader community. So it, it makes it very challenging to deal with, you know, how these conflicts of rights work themselves out, and how do our how can our institutions uh, teach and model, uh, you know, sexual. Uh, biblical sexual values and relationship values of, of what true intimacy means um, without running afoul of, of the law and uh, without offending people. It seems uh, the recent election, I feel a significant part of our church voted in the current administration based upon the fear of what happened with the uh, Supreme Court case, fearing that uh, religious liberty would be compromised because of this case and embrace the current administration. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that a misnomer or was You it know, I, I, Peter, it's interesting that you put it that way because that, that's one of my observations as well. That, But it's not just the Obergefell decision with same-sex marriage. It's how quickly the whole transgender issue came to front and center and how aggressive the advocacy was. I think people were, you know, there was a reaction to that. But there's another reaction. And that is, uh, and, and we've seen that very flagrantly publicly, and that is um, just blatant racism. Um, it was a reaction to eight years of an African-American president and the kind of racist core of white America began to be unmasked. And Trump very clearly uh, played directly to that. And, you know, for better or worse, I think it's exposed. You know, whatever you think of Trump, whatever you think of his administration, his policies, um, and, and of course there's a, there's a third element here which I hear a lot of, which is uh, hostility to uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, it was anybody but Clinton. And Trump, for many of us, uh, fits the bill of, wow, anybody but Clinton can go that far? You know, I, I have a lot of conservative friends who were, you know, a, uh, you know, what is it called, ABT, anybody but Trump, you know, anti-Trumpers. So, uh, you know, you can be conservative and not like Trump. The religious right has gained resurgence in politics here today. Ellen White identifies a force in the end times in Great Controversy called apostate Protestantism. Would the religious right be connected to that type of, uh, from a prophetic standpoint? You know, Peter, that may be a fair question, but I'm not going to answer it. And I'm going to tell and I'm going to explain why. Seventh-day Adventism for too long has been focused on fault-finding and pointing fingers at what's wrong with, you know, fill in the blank, Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, you name it, Jews. Um, and I think that 
you know, some of that certainly is an outgrowth of our commitment to our eschatology, our understanding of last day events. George Vandeman, you know, speaker director of It Is Written for so many years, published a wonderful book many years ago called What I Like About. And it had a chapter about many different other Christian uh, faiths. And I think we need a paradigm shift in our church that instead of looking, you know, separating ourselves from the broader Christian community and, you know, so we're the remnant and others are wrong and they need what we have. And, and you know, I believe in our message, so don't, don't misunderstand me. Um, but we treat others as enemies instead of as brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. And I think the paradigm shift, you know, to take the gospel, we need to make friends. And we need to put our arms around people and draw close to them and love them as, as Christ died for them. So to the extent that we're focusing on, you know, who's the boogeyman, who's going to come get us, um, I think it's counterproductive. Now, historically, Adventists have been suspicious of conservative Protestants in terms of prophecy. There's no question. So in my ministry, my uh, strategy or, or approach has been then if, if we think that some of these folks may become our enemies someday, let's make them our friends. There's an old saying, the best way to destroy your enemy is to make them your friend. And so, you know, the very far right groups, I work with them, I go to lunch with them. Uh, you know, I've made them my friends, I serve them. I, you know, we work together on, on issues that we have in common and we build bridges of friendship. And you know, what's gonna come out of that? If some of them someday are pursuing Sunday laws or interests that are uh, hostile to our interests, I'm going to have the privilege of sitting down, you know, over a meal or in their office face to face and talking about this friend to friend. That's the model I think that we need to follow in all of our churches and all of our communities is identify who are the people of influence, who are the key leaders, and we need to get to know them. We need to build relationships and be positioned to be able to communicate our values and our concerns, you know, in a time of crisis. But this notion of, oh, well, these folks, you know, we're suspicious of them, they're suspect, and so we're going to keep our distance, that's terribly counterproductive. There is a spirit of intolerance, I feel, in this nation among churches and even within our own ranks. Um, how should we address this in a constructive way? You know, the title of the sermon that the Lord has put on my heart to preach for a long time now, and I can't, I can't get rid of it, is overcoming religious intolerance. Um, I mean, obviously, it's the spirit of Christ in our hearts that is the solution. That's the bottom line. But I think we have to take seriously the teachings of Jesus. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Matthew 25, 
in the judgment parable of the sheep and the goats, what is the standard of righteousness that the sheep display? They gave a cup of cold water to the one who was thirsty. They clothed the naked, they fed the hungry, and when they did that, they were doing it to Jesus, even though they didn't realize it. And, and who was this Jesus? In a, um, in a devotional I was reading from the famed German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he connects Revelation 3, the Jesus knocking at the door of your heart, um, with the Jesus of the least of these in Matthew 25 that the sheep are giving a cup of cold water to. You know, these are the ones who are knocking at the door of your heart. And that righteousness is how we treat people. Uh, are we caring? Are we compassionate? Uh, do we treat those who we regard as beneath us with dignity, with kindness, with respect? You know, do, do we dehumanize them or do we humanize them? That's the standard of righteousness. See, we, we Adventists pride ourselves on being law keepers. But whenever we talk about keeping the law, we trivialize the law. Because love is the fulfilling of the law, and the standard of love is... I'm not sure it's fair to call it an impossibly high standard, but it's a, I, th I do think it's a standard that we're always reaching to and we can never fully say that we have, you know, that we have uh, reached. You know, because it, it's not a standard of what we don't do. It's, a, it's, a, it's like how much more can we do to, to be loving and to love. And, and, and love is not um, primarily an emotion. There's an emotional aspect of it, but there's also an action aspect of it. And, you know, let me tie in another thought here. We talk about repentance. Um, in the Jewish tradition, on the Day of Atonement, there's a liturgy of confession of sin. And in that liturgy, there are sins of commission, things that we have done wrong. But there are also sins of omission, things that we should have done but neglected, that failed to do. And this is where I think within the Adventist tradition we have something to learn from Judaism and where we have something to learn, period, is uh, the importance of not just avoiding the bad, but emphasizing the good that we need to do. In Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., uh, there's talk about the Johnson Amendment and repealing that. Uh, what implications does that have for us as a church? Well, first let me point out that there is not a single religious denomination in America that wants to repeal the Johnson Amendment. The only ones who want to repeal it are independent religious conservative groups that are political. 
The churches recognize that they don't want their churches corrupted by, by being part of the partisan political process. And Seventh-day Adventist Church, along with other churches, feels this way. The, the thing that's so overlooked, this is not really a free speech issue. That's just marketing campaign from the right, okay? What it's really about is money. We finance politics in this country with after-tax dollars. You've already paid your taxes. You don't get a write-off for giving to um, politics. Repeal of the Johnson Amendment would then permit churches to become political action committees, and you could give political donations to the tune of millions and tens of millions of dollars through nonprofit religious organizations to be used directly for political speech, for campaigning. It would completely transform American politics and the churches would then become the primary vehicles of campaign finance, which clearly is not how we want to transform American political life. And as Seventh-day Adventists, what can we do to promote the cause of religious liberty, which is a legacy of our church? Well, for starters, we do an annual religious liberty offering every year in January. Uh, but we can contribute anytime we want, all year long, um, and help to financially support religious freedom. Um, it's actually the producer of my radio show, Freedom's Ring, that came up with the slogan years ago. Uh, and, and I might say, in terms of uh, understanding the issues, uh, by all means, I'll put in a plug for Freedom's Ring, our radio show, which is on the iTunes library and SoundCloud. It's on our churchstate.org website. And uh, we've been broadcasting a weekly show for 20 years now. But, but Mike, Mike came up with the slogan, um, be informed, get involved. We can't really get involved in a meaningful way if we don't understand what's going on. So, you know, first things first is pay attention, be informed um, with reliable sources. And there are lots of good, reliable sources. There's also, sadly, as I think we're beginning to realize, a lot of fake news and unreliable sources. Um, get a balanced perspective. Don't just listen to one side or the other. If your primary source of information is Fox News, you're getting one part of the story. Uh, you need to get both parts of the story in order to have a better understanding of what's really going on. Um, either side is liable to have a somewhat distorted view. As far as how to get involved, there's so many ways to get involved. And I'm just going to kind of give a couple of things that, that we've been emphasizing. So number one, it's important for each church in its own community to build good relationships with your elected officials. Invite your elected officials to church. They will come. Invite them not during campaign season. Don't invite them to endorse them, but you know they have 
accepted the mantle of public service and you can offer to pray for them if they're willing and many are and you you know whether they're the party that you know or the politics that you like or don't like they're there to serve the community and you can encourage that and you can find out um, their views on the needs of the community and, and, and start the dialogue, how can our church better serve the community? So that's you know one way to get involved, is just start to build those bridges with public officials. Another way to get involved, um, we're not the only religious minority in America. There are other religious minorities that are suffering a lot of discrimination issues. Let's get better acquainted with our Muslim neighbors, with our Sikh neighbors, with our Jewish neighbors. And, you know, let's start to have some joint programs together and understand the discrimination issues and the concerns that uh, these other communities have. Let's find ways to serve together, build bridges of friendship with them. Uh, people aren't going to be interested in our Jesus if they don't even know who we are and if we don't care about them. So I think too often our approach to the community uh, is an approach of we're trying to sell you something, which is ironic because the gospel is a free gift. So we're trying to sell something that we're supposed to give away. But that's kind of our, our approach, is, is a sales approach. So I think that if instead of trying to sell something, we're there as a servant, and we try to serve and, and, and understand others and their needs, that you know, we'll be much better representatives of, of the Jesus that we profess. And so I think that, you know, that's going to go a long ways towards breaking down intolerance. We need to break down our own intolerance and the intolerance of others, but we do that, as Jesus said, he would be great among you, be a servant. Elder Reinick, thank you so much for joining this podcast. Can you say a closing prayer for us as we end? Father in heaven, I'm, I'm thankful for Peter and for his... Uh, ministry and dedication to serving you and for this podcast. I pray that those who listen would be blessed and inspired to, to better represent you and serve you and to love you. Uh, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.